0: You're listening to episode 409 of the UAV
1: Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hello, Max. I'm I'm back from a couple of days down the shore. So I'm going to be a little tired for this week's episode.
0: Yeah, a little too much uh, rest and relaxation.
1: Yeah, you know, too much sun, too much crabs, you know, a lot of indulgences. But we got a lot of good stories, um... The big story would be, of course, the court rules on remote ID case, reconnaissance drones for Ukraine, more drones going to Mars, fried chicken coming by drone, lifeguard drones meet resistance, mapping peaks with UAVs, NASA and Zipline sign an agreement, and United Airlines sends a prepayment to Archer for 100E Vertol aircraft. So I think we should get started. There's a lot of news. Well, our first story comes from um, Wiley Law. D.C. Circuit Court upholds drone remote ID rule. So what's going on, Max?
0: Well, you'll recall that uh, there was a lawsuit. Race Day Quads and drone operator Tyler Brennan had sued to vacate the FAA remote ID rule. Now, they said that the, among other things, that the rule amounted to, quote, constant warrantless government surveillance in violation of the Fourth Amendment. So this has moved through the D.C. Circuit's U.S. Court of Appeals, and we have a ruling.
1: And it upheld the constitutionality of the FAA's remote ID requirement. The court said, quote, drones generally lack any reasonable expectation of privacy in the location of their drone systems during flight. So basically, if you're flying, you have no privacy.
0: And the judge ruled that remote ID doesn't fit the definition of search under the Fourth Amendment. Um, there was another issue, uh, a complaint as to whether the, F- uh, the FAA implemented this rule using proper process and all. And the judge said that, nope, FAA did it properly properly. Uh, Another quote from the judge, she said, drones are coming, lots of them. They are fun and useful, but their ability to pry, spy, crash, and drop things poses real risks. Free-for-all drone use threatens air traffic, people and things on the ground, and even national security. Congress recognizes as much. So, it sounds like the uh, remote ID rule is (laughs) Clear to go forward.
1: So, Max, do you think this is a definitive answer, or do you think people are going to challenge this even more?
0: I don't know. This was the uh, the appeals court, so I don't know exactly what the next level of appeal would be, but it it sounds like it's pretty high up. So, I don't know if it's worth the time and energy of the uh, of the complainants to proceed. But it seems like it's pretty well established. Um, I don't think there's a a lot of support for the notion that remote ID rule violates the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. So I'm hoping this is the end of that part of this little saga.
1: So let's talk about Ukraine. Ukrainian defenders will receive 20 fly-eye reconnaissance drones from the drone army. Money was collected for the drone army through a United 24 platform which is kind of like a GoFundMe. And contracts were signed to purchase two control stations and 20 fly-eye drones from Poland. Also
0: 78 Matrice multicopters and two ground systems for 20 WarMate Kamikaze attack drones. Looks like this is proceeding. The fly-eye drones, yeah, as you mentioned, David, they're designed and built by uh, WB Electronics in Poland. And they're pretty zippy little drones.
1: Yeah, up to 160 kilometers per hour. They're fully autonomous takeoff and landing capability, but they can be launched by hand, which is kind of cool. In the in the article, you can see them hand launching these things. They have a length of 1.9 meters and a wingspan of 3.6 meters.
0: A maximum takeoff weight of 11 kilograms and a maximum payload of four kilograms, and Importantly, the communication system operates on NATO military frequency bands, and they're compatible with Western missile and artillery installations, um, which use an automated fire control system. So uh, they uh, they integrate. The hand launching capability that you mentioned, david, is is also kind of important because uh, in a you know in a combat zone, uh, setting up a, a catapult launcher or some other launcher, um, it, that takes time and, and space that you that may not you have. an
1: RV, obvious target.
0: Exactly. So being able to hand launch these is um, a, a good capability, suitable for that environment.
1: Yeah, it looks like a kind of a three-meter sailplane. You know, we, when we used to do radio control, it was three-meter sailplanes were always the standard for large gliders. So this is it's kind of old technology but with a new face. Let's talk about sending drones way out in space. How about NASA plans to send two more drones to Mars.
0: This came from W I O N and that's an Indian multinational English news channel. It's headquartered in New Delhi um, and it's a video report, which we'll have in the show notes. But WION says NASA is not only going to scrap their original plan of sending another rover to Mars, but they're also going to send two new helicopter drones. Those drones would re- uh, retrieve the samples from Perseverance and transport them to a, a rocket that would return to Earth. So uh, we, we know that um, the, the rover has been collecting samples on Mars. And NASA has been working to develop a method to get those samples back to, back to Earth. Um, under this kind of scenario that WION is talking about, uh, rather than try to land uh, a return craft close to the rover, it, which may not be particularly safe, you would land farther away and then ferry the samples by drone using these uh, copters to the return ship.
1: Yeah, originally they were going to send a rover um, to scoop up all of these drone samples, Perseverance is laying laying on on Mars, but now it looks like evidently um, good old Perseverance, uh, good old Percy and um, Ingenuity and Ginny, um, Ginny has proved her uh, more than her weight in flight techniques, so I guess they figure they can start lifting heavy things. As well as just the helicopter, because Ginny has been so successful. So,
0: so I tried to verify this uh, this report because I'm not familiar with WION, which may be perfectly um, normal, you know, normal, well and well researched and all. But I wanted to confirm that this is this is the plan, and I kind of had trouble doing that. So far, I haven't found another source that confirms that this is, in fact, the plan. Now, there is a Mars sample return mission web page from NASA. It's at mars.nasa.gov slash MSR. And so I tried to find some information there, and I didn't find anything specific other than um, there is a or there was to be a, a media teleconference hosted by NASA on July 27th to discuss the architecture, it says, for its Mars sample return campaign. And I don't know if that occurred. I don't see any documentation of it. It also says on the Mars sample return mission page, the news briefing, another news briefing, I guess, Will's, Present the architecture proposal that is expected to be finalized in September 2022. So I'm still hunting David for uh, confirmation that the 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 plan reported by WION is is actually the plan.
1: So any of our NASA people out there, do us a favor, um, give us give a shout give a shout out to us via email and let us confirm the story because it is kind of it's very interesting but it is sort of like one of those they're probably right but we haven't been able to verify it so that's that's always a good thing so you know you're i i put this in because you know after spending two days at the beach it just seemed kind of appropriate (laughs) yeah um and this was the washington post.com lifeguard drones can save lives but u.s beaches might not buy them Drones are being used by lifeguards at some European beaches. 22 beaches in Spain use multi-rotor drones created by Valencia's Polytechnic University. General drones, Oxion LFG costs 40,000 euros. So I mean it sounds like these things are expensive, Max, but you know, there's a lot of coast here in the United States to cover.
0: Yeah, 40,000 euros is yeah, that's a pretty pricey Drone, but that's not forty
1: thousand dollars American yeah. right now. it's it's a really easy conversion rate,
0: yeah, yeah, but that's not the only expense. There's an ongoing monthly expense. There's a fifteen thousand euro monthly fee that pays for a trained pilot. So you've got that uh, going on in addition to the you know, the purchase price of the drone. but they're using this in Spain to a, a pretty great extent. In fact, they say that there have been somewhere between 40 and 50 life-saving incidents in Spain that have used this General Drones, Ox Drone, LFG. But it's uh, it's a, it's special built. General, the General Drones equipment that they sell are really focused on rescue and search and rescue, things like that. So it's it's not just a generic multi-rotor, I get the impression, um, but it's it, it purpose-built, um, so they're they're finding some success in Europe. So back here in the in the United States, they they could be useful. It turns out we <laughs> it's another shortage, David. We have a lifeguard shortage, apparently, because um, it uh, it seems that the younger Americans, the the folks who would be most likely to uh, work as lifeguards during the summer, well, during the pandemic, they've found other higher-paying jobs. And so there is a uh, there is a shortage, but there's certainly a need. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says about 3,700 people in the United States drown unintentionally every year, which is uh, eh, that that's just kind of amazing.
1: Yeah, and but I can understand the labor shortage because you know um, there's a current generation of. People who were who are not necessarily disposed to sitting on a beach chair for eight hours a day at minimum, or slightly above minimum wage um, as a summer job, so these beaches are going to have to find some other way to supplement their life saving gear. It is kind of amazing that you've got this kind of shortage, but I also know public pools throughout the United States had the same shortage there's a there's a dramatic shortage of kids being being taught how to life save you know so something to be said there and and you're talking about spending 15 dollars an hour for a lifeguard or 15,000 dollars a week for a drone so it's like eh, you can understand where the cost comes in
0: and that's what the U.S. lifeguard officials are saying is that, they, you know, they like the idea of this and they see the value of drones like this, but they say that the, the cost right now is just really high and that's limiting widespread adoption. Because we do see some um, drones being used in a lifeguarding role in the United States, but apparently not to the extent they have in Europe. And in the U.S., they're just not... Ready for that level of
1: expense at this time. Yeah, understood. Yeah. Well, get a bucket of chicken, finger looking good. Have a barrel of fun via drone. This is 9now.9.com. KFC takes to the sky with a drone delivered fried chicken. KFC is partnering with Wing in Queensland, that's Australia, to trial delivery fried chicken.
0: So the drone can carry up to 1.5 kilograms. Now, I haven't weighed a full bucket of chicken, but I I think they, they point out here that uh, that's a little more than 1.5 kilograms. So you won't be able to get your full big bucket of chicken <laughs> under, this, uh, under this trial. But smaller orders, no problem.
1: I want my two breasts, two thighs, two legs, two wings. I want my bucket, you know. <laughs> And if they're not going to be able to provide me my mashed potatoes and coleslaw and my biscuits, then you know what? We're not going to do this drone delivery. Deals stuff. off. The deals off. You know, they're, You got to be able to get the whole meal. So there you go. Congratulations to Wing for partnering with KFC. But you know what? They gotta they gotta up their game on this one because I want my wing to dr- deliver wings and, and large quantities of them. So, it's kind of a novelty thing. I mean we we see this with other
0: deliveries of uh, of food items by drone. A lot of times it just seems like it's more a novelty than than something that's usually practical on a scaled up basis. But maybe that's the intent you know is to get people kind of used to the idea to um, you know spark interest in drone deliveries as as well as prove out that the you know, the hardware and software behind it are actually functioning properly.
1: Well, yeah, you gotta have somebody buy the chicken to to learn how to fly the chicken. So, you know. I think basically these novelties are a way to test drive the whole system, you know, and and, and develop the technology. So, sure. All right. Let's go on to more news. This was from um Amerascience.com. Drone deliveries consume ninety-four percent less energy per parcel than diesel trucks, and this was a new study from Carnegie Mellon.
0: Right. When I saw the headline, ninety-four percent less energy, um, the first thing that went through my head before looking into the article was, "Okay, who did this study?" It sort of had the flavor of somebody with some, in, you know, some uh, some self-interest funding or conducting the study, but. Not the case. Carnegie Mellon University, which great university in, uh, in Pennsylvania, these guys I, I trust. So this new study says that drones carrying small packages emit 84% less greenhouse gas emissions than a diesel truck. And as the headline says, and uses 94% less energy. And they actually conducted a series of tests using small quadcopter drones.
1: Yeah, so uh, carrying packages weighing no more than a half a kilogram to a single direction, almost too much of flights at different speeds and distances, they measured the drone's energy consumption and greenhouse gas emissions. Now, if it's an electric drone, it's not going to have a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. But, <laughs> no. but the question is, small packages, yeah, I, I can understand it having a positive effect but we're still not talking about being able to deliver our, our daily Amazon shipment. And eventually the get the electricity for these electric drones has to be generated somewhere, you know, downstream. I mean, that's one of those things we've talked about is, you know, even electric cars, you end up burning fossil fuels so you can make the electricity for the cars. So it's, yes, it's an interesting stat and yes, it's probably good news, but a, there's still a lot of practicality that's not is being left out of the article,
0: and what they're focused on is is that last mile delivery, right? So, um, at least at this point in time, the idea is that uh, drones wouldn't be operating throughout the entire logistics chain, but be involved in that last mile delivery, and so that's what the Carnegie Mellon researchers were looking at. Now, if you're interested in digging into this more deeply, um, we'll have links to uh, a couple of a couple of resources. Uh, there's a Carnegie Mellon um, article that uh, describes this. That's probably the basis for the for the uh, the news report. And there's also a paper that was published in the August issue of Patterns. And uh, we'll have a link to that in it as well. And that's, uh, that's freely available. You don't have to pay for that report. So if you're interested in, in really digging into this uh, more deeply, you can find those resources on our website.
1: Well, our next story, if you want to talk about climbing instead of digging, is Conquering Eberus, Mapping Europe's Highest Peak with the UAV. I don't think I knew that Eberus was uh, Europe's Highest Peak. So,
0: yeah, Mount Elbers it's uh, over 18,000 feet up. And what they wanted to do was inspect a cable car route and to map that area because they're looking at potentially um, extending uh, the cable car system up there. So there's a, not having been there, but there's apparently a lot of uh, recreation that goes on there. Um, you know, so a lot of people. And so there are these cable cars. But... With with a mountain um, you know this tall, it poses some some challenges to uh, you know how do you map that area? You've got high altitude. Um, another interesting thing because they tried some other drones, other systems before this. Some of the drones they tried suffered from GPS losses and interference. There's apparently some geomagnetic anomalies associated with the with the mountain. Um, and Sounds so that like messed aliens. things up. Yeah, yeah, that maybe. Um, they looked at a fixed-wing drone solution. It, it couldn't reach the uh, altitude necessary, and the one they tried also had a parachute recovery system. The, the trouble with that is, is that you don't know exactly where it's going to come down. And they had a case where it came down in a place they couldn't get to. So they've been using this uh, Fixar F I X A R double zero seven drone to perform this mapping and inspection. And they're having good results with it.
1: It's a Vertol fixed-wing drone. So it's a fixed-wing, but it's got the vertical takeoff um, motors. Its industrial applications are including drone mapping and inspections, aerial imaging, precision agriculture, oil and gas, and surveillance and monitoring. Sounds like a perfect tool. So the Fixer 007 is immune to geometric anomalies. It has, a magno- it has no magnetometer sensors. It's designed to fly above 4,000 meters or 13,000 feet. Um, so it's definitely flying above its range in, in this. The propulsion system functions in thin air, another factor when you're moving mountains. And the aerodynamic design and wind resistance of 12 meters per second could give, can give it about 27 miles an hour. So this is definitely an environment that is not necessarily suited for a UAS, but they seem to have found workarounds and found a UAS that will work in a semi-hostile environment.
0: And we have a video that uh, you can take a look at that's also in the show notes for this episode, so you can see what this looks like and what they've been doing with it. And in that video, which is not terribly long, so it doesn't take up too much of your time, but you can see the terrain they're dealing with here. And uh, you can easily imagine how, yeah, how drone unfriendly it really is. But this
1: Fixar is working out just fine. You should definitely check it out because it is kind of a cute little design. I do like it. And it's this lovely red. So, it, but, but yeah, definitely the fixed wing and the uh, vertical takeoff rotors. It's definitely one of those hybrids which we see more and more as we go on through this journey of exploration on UAVs. So Zipline and NASA signed a Space Act agreement to pursue M colon N drone operations. What does that mean? M to
0: N. So it's a ratio. M to N operations refers to the ratio of multiple operators. That's the M, lowercase m, controlling multiple vehicles. That's the N. That's an uppercase N. So it's M colon N, M to N. And NASA announced it, signed a Space Act agreement with Zipline to, quote, pursue a future vision of U.S. aviation that includes delivery drones and air taxis. So uh, we we know that uh, Zipline M-to-N operations um, are uh, the model for medical delivery drones that they're already employing at scale in Africa. Similarly, for their operations in the United States, Japan, Ghana— in Rwanda. So uh, yeah, we have this agreement between uh, ZipLine and NASA, which uh, it seems like a pretty good link up.
1: So what's a SPACE Act agreement? Well, it's a legal instrument that formulates partnerships with NASA. NASA has a congressional authority to enter into these kinds of agreements. SAAs are, are similar to Cooperative Research and Development Agreements, or CRD, CRADAs, the same as other federal agencies when partnering with industry. So read into that, the Department of Defense. SAAs can be non-reimbursable, reimbursable, reimbursable, funded or unfunded. So what's going to happen? So in March 2021, NASA formed the Multi-Vehicle Working Group, which is supposed to meet quarterly and though the last session was documented was november 3rd 2021 so what's the goal of the working group max
0: so their central goal is to bring together a broad collective of interested stakeholders from government industry and academia and they look to identify and reduce barriers to m to n operations In operational configuration, they say that envisions a ratio of multiple operators, that's the M, controlling multiple vehicles between them. What they're looking at, or what they recognize, is that one operator, one drone, is not really commercially viable, right? If you're going to uh, do drone delivery or anything like that, any high-volume kind of activity with drones, uh, you know, the situation where you have each drone has its own operator it's just not going to work uh, it's not going to be not going to be cost effective so when you have uh, someone overseeing a number of drones or multiple people overseeing multiple drones uh, it needs to be coordinated it's it's just not uh, an obvious uh, solution to to making that work properly. So that's what this uh, working group is is looking at, and that's what this uh, SAA agreement, this partnership that NASA has with Zipline, is intended to uh, to explore
1: as well. And Zipline's becoming very successful. So being able to hand off one vehicle to another, from one person to another, or hand off a vehicle, I mean this is done technically right now in the military space we hand off drones from various positions either ship based land based air based so the control gets handed off back but usually it's it's handing off one, one drone is being handed off between two operators in this case you'd be handing off two or three and control it you know so it's going to be really creating more of a network than a chain so this is, this is going to be interesting technology, but I think Zipline is perfectly situated to develop this technology because they've moved so far into this uh, medical delivery space. Archer receives 10000000 million pre-delivery payment from United Airlines for 100E Vertol aircraft. Advances path to commercialization. This is a pretty big deal. So we already knew about
0: the um, uh, agreement that United Airlines had with Archer in 2021, they conditionally ordered 100 Archer eVTOL aircraft. So now United has made a $10 million cash pre-delivery payment to Archer. And that's significant because to this point, I don't think United Airlines had put any capital in. Right. There was nothing. So um, here they've, you know, here they've prepaid uh, ten million dollars, so that indicates that United Airlines is is serious about this. It also sends a, a message, I think, to the industry um, that uh, there there is some seriousness behind this. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's great news for Archer, certainly.
1: And the preliminary design review for Archer has has already gone into effect. Um, and it's setting up the specs and the manufacturing requirements for their aircraft. Um, it says the design is feasible for regulatory compliance. So they're, they're actually thinking ahead for the FAA. But, you know, this injection of capital is really one of those things that makes or breaks these kind of startups. So here we have a sizable injection of capital. Now, does this mean that this is actually going to ever happen? I don't know, but at least it pushes Archer further along the line um, towards the goal of producing it. United Airlines seems comfortable enough to throw, throw money at the project so that they, they, they're going to get some results. So uh, good news for Archer. All right, a video of the week. Yeah, this was from DroneLife.com. Watch how Amazon is preparing for safe drone delivery. So lots of lots of more Amazon drone delivery stuff. Again, this is sort of a publicity video, but it is giving you a kind of feel of how far we've progressed on drone delivery.
0: And I think it supplements the the video we had last week or, or the last episode, uh, David. Um, I think you see uh, more footage of the drones themselves. Ah, uh, quite a lot of it. in the first part of the video, I saw quite a lot of these drones being pushed around in their in their carts. Um, and I'm thinking, well, okay, this is great, and you get to to really see the the size and scale of them in, in in really clear terms. but you know, are these things actually flying? And then you get a little deeper into the video, and then in fact, you do you do see them flying. One thing that, I thought was a little bit unexpected was the point they made about safety, one of the safety aspects where they showed a drone proceeding towards its destination. And then uh, they uh, made the point of saying that, you know, sometimes things could go wrong. I don't think they said what specifically, but you know, there's some bad weather ahead, or the the receiving location is is not prepared to receive the delivery, or what, and uh, so they showed us how when a situation like that arises, well, then the drone may have to turn around and go back, and then they even showed us a little bit video of the of the drone actually flying backwards and uh, returning to to base, I guess. So it's an interesting video, and it really does give you a good sense for what these things are, what they look like, and and what's planned for them by Amazon.
1: But that's at least they're thinking ahead. You know, you're not you're they're anticipating there are going to be issues. You know, we two weekends ago or three weekends ago here in the United States, we had bad weather, and basically the national airspace got shut down for all intents and purposes. So drone delivery is going to be a little bit like that, you know, bad weather or, you know, other those kind of issues are going to come up and they've got to be prepared to, how do you, excuse the pun, uh, change on the fly, you know? (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you for listening to episode 409 of the UAV Digest. Be sure to find us at the uavdigest.com. We've got show notes there, all the videos we talk about, the, uh, the articles we talk about. We have some supplemental links and information and, and photos. So if you want to learn more about any of the stories we talked about, that's a good place to start.
1: And, of course, you can always say hi to us or send us stories to look at, and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the uavdigest.com. And you can also send us a request to join our Slack listener team uh, the same way, and we'll be happy to join so you can join in the conversation during the week. Of course, Max and I are on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, on uh, Wednesdays on that other show, the Airplane Geeks podcast. So with that, I'm going to say this is David Homan, Delaware. And Max Homan, Connecticut. Thanks for listening.